Well, good evening, Rocky Peak. Welcome to our post-Super Bowl church experience. Uh, like, it seems like years ago when he was talking about the game, it's like, what game? I can't even remember. Uh, for some of you, I'm sure it was like much more grief-filled. Uh, I was actually pulling for the 49ers myself, um, but I was very proud of Kansas City, and so it was, uh, it was a great game. But uh, anyway, my name is Michael, and I too am one of the pastors here, and so if you're here for the very first time, we are so happy to have you here. We're going to jump into our time of teaching. Uh, wasn't worship awesome tonight? I mean, there, there, there are times when even I, even when I do it, let's just kind of cancel though, church. We're just going to go worship the whole night, you know? And uh, so one of these days we'll do that, maybe when Dre's teaching. But, uh, uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> All right, yeah. Dre, are you here? Dre, Dre's in the house. He's here Saturday night. Oh, good, he's not here. Good, don't tell him, all right? Don't tell him because he'll be up in like a week or two and I'm dead meat, you know? So, uh, all right, so inside your program is a, a green and white message note sheet we use every week uh, for our time of teaching. And I know you're a regular here. You totally up to speed with that. But we have visitors every week. And so I just want to make sure if you're a guest that you kind of know how to follow along, you'll take that out. And so if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here in your, your house, uh, your, your place, uh, underneath your leadership. And Lord, we just acknowledge as a church that you are the head of the body. That we're, as we're being talking about today, you are the head, you're our leader, you're our Lord. We come underneath your leadership, and we just start here, Lord, because we want to hear your word. We want to hear the word of God today. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word, speak it to each of our hearts loud and clear, that we would be confirmed, we'd be challenged, uh, we would be encouraged, we'd be rebuked, whatever the need is, that your word would speak to us. And um, like, it, like it says in Jeremiah, is not my word like a hammer, is it not like a fire? We pray that it would burn hot today. We pray that it would accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it forth. We pray it in your name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well. Our story starts today right here in L.A., uh, right in the San Fernando Valley. I mean, that's where she was from. Uh, it's where she's grown up. Uh, it's where she went to school. It's where she graduated from high school. And uh, after she graduated, she enrolled in UCLA. Any Bruin fans out there? Uh, it's too bad. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I grew up in a USC fan. I don't know why. But uh, okay. All right. Hey, back to the story, all right? Throw me off here. So she, uh, <laughs> she went to UCLA. She, she graduated there. Um, and then she applied to, uh, to get her master's degree at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And so uh, went across the country, got her master's in public administration. And uh, afterwards, uh, she's hired by a kind of a major, you know, major accounting firm, uh, consulting firm, uh, Price uh, Waterhouse Cooper, and uh, and so she uh, she begins working uh, uh, as a public uh, public analyst uh, or a consultant to the United States government uh, out of Washington D.C. And uh, after she does that a while, she, by now she's married, and she and her husband are going to move back to the San Fernando Valley and begins in, uh, working here and extending her career. Um, but as we jump down the, the line a bit, in spite of this amazing education, a great upbringing, 
um, all the experience she's had, that today she's facing a new challenge, something that she frankly feels a little unqualified for, something she's never trained for, um, and something that's a bit intimidating. Um, but it's too late to run now. Uh, marketing has gone out. The room has been reserved. She's prepared the best she can. And a few minutes, they're going to arrive. And the question is, how is this going to go? And is she up for this challenge? Well, today, we are continuing our, our series that's called Serving Sacrificially, Discovering Your Purpose. And if you're new here, a uh, special welcome. But also, what this series is about is we're really taking a journey as a church, and we're asking the question, uh, what is God's vision for uh, all of our lives? What's his specific purpose and plan for each of our lives? How do we go about discovering that? And if you've been here throughout the series, you know, one of the, the big picture truths that we've learned is that as followers of Jesus, that, that when we come to Jesus, we discover that we've been chosen uh, literally before time. And we've been chosen um, not only to be forgiven, not only to be adopted into God's family, but we've been chosen to play a significant role in God's big picture vision, kind of what I like to call this epic vision, to bring all creation healed and restored under the leadership of his son, King Jesus. And not only that, but that God has been shaping us our entire life to carry out that purpose. And so last week we began delving in and asking the question, well, kind of how has God specifically been shaping us? And we've, we started this journey looking at five specific areas of our life where God has been shaping us over the course of our life to carry out his purpose. And to help us get at this, we're using this helpful acronym that we, acronym we introduced last week called SHAPE, uh, S-H-A-P-E. And there in your note sheet, you have a section called Serving Sacrificially, uh, Shape to Serve. And there you see the acronym. We're just going to quickly hit it again to get oriented. Uh, we, we said that each of the five letters, of course, represents an area of our life. And so the S stands for spiritual gifts. We began talking about that last week. We'll talk more about it today. The H stands for heart. In other words, those God-given passions that God puts in our heart that often direct us where we're, uh, where we're to make a difference. The A stands for abilities, um, these natural talents we're born with or, or skills that we pick up along the way that God often uses to advance his kingdom. The P stands for personality. We each have a unique personality. How does that fit in the mix? And then the E stands for experience or uh, life experience. So you and I, we all have a unique life experience. We grew up in a certain home. We had certain kinds of parents or not. Uh, we were, uh, grew up in a certain part of town, certain kind of educational experiences, certain uh, kind of social, economic, racial experiences. Uh, we have different spiritual journeys, spiritual pathways. All these things uh, fit into the mode of how God has been shaping us to, to carry out his purpose. And so, of course, the key idea behind this is that if we can understand better how God shapes us, we'll be able to, to more quickly recognize those roles that really uh, are kind of designed for us that we're supposed to carry out. And so last week, we began to explore this first area, the S of spiritual gifts. And we're going to continue that today. Uh, if you were not here last week for whatever reason, uh, uh, hopefully it's a good one, but 
uh, for whatever reason, you can always catch up by going to our YouTube channel and watching, watching uh, the message online, or go to our iTunes um, podcast and, and listen there uh, audibly. Um, but uh, there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the Serving Sacrificially Discovering Your Gift. So if you were here last week, you know we started with just one principle. I promised we'd have seven over the next couple weeks. We're going to add three more today. But I want to start just with this first one again, just hit it real quickly because this really lays the foundation for everything we're doing. And this is basically a working definition of what a spiritual gift is. So if you were here, you'll remember this. It won't take long. That first of all, we said a, a, a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability. So we're all born with natural gifts, but this is not natural. This is supernatural. This is a a gift, a, a supernatural ability that God gives you when you first come to Jesus or sometimes later on to equip you to, to serve, right? And so uh, that leads to the second part is given to Christ's followers. So non-believers don't receive spiritual gifts, at least in the sense the Bible is uh, describing them. A spiritual gift by definition is a gift given by the Holy Spirit to those who've received the Holy Spirit. And finally, it's given to equip us to serve. So uh, as we, so we saw last week, we'll talk more about this next week, that yes, our, the gifts are, are given for our benefit, and as we use them, we grow, we experience the presence and power of God. We'll explore that more next week. But their primary reason they're given us is to serve others so we can live a life of love um, and we can be, uh, uh, live a life that, that leads to sacrificial service in a very empowered, supernatural way through the spiritual gifts. So so that's, the, that's what a spiritual gift is. Now, today we're going to build on that foundation. We're going to have three more important principles. And the first one goes like this. Number two is that every spiritual gift is vital. One of the things the Bible wants to make super clear uh, over and over again is that there's a wide variety of spiritual gifts, but everyone is vital. Uh, God, has, uh, give, God has selected these gifts. He's given these gifts. He's given them for a reason. They each play an important part in the big picture story uh, that they're all vital. Now, one of the analogies that the Apostle Paul uses a lot, and we saw this last week, to help us understand how spiritual gifts work in general, but especially this point, why they're so vital, is he compares the new community of King Jesus, he compares it to a human body. And he says that in the same way that we, in a human body, we have all these different parts, but they all play a vital role, that so in the body of Christ, it's the same way. Now, the thing is, is that there are certain, uh, there's certain parts of our human body that are obviously important, right? Like if, uh, if you, you know, uh, were in some sort of accident and you lost your eyes, or, right, or you lost your ears, or you, you, uh, you no longer could smell, there's certain things, you know, you, you, uh, they had to amputate a foot, a hand. I mean, ob there's certain parts that are obviously important, um, but there are other parts that are equally as important, sometimes more important, but we don't even realize it until they go wrong, right? Like how many of you got up this morning and praised God for your pancreas, right? <laughs> probably not. It probably wasn't the first thing. You hit the floor. God, thank you for those kidneys. They're just working. In fact, they're working so well, I need to use the bathroom, right? Now it's like, we, like, we don't think about many parts of our body until they go bad, right? 
But once we do, it's like, are you kidding me? I didn't know the liver was so important. I didn't know it did so much. And so uh, in the same way in the body of Christ is that every part is vital. Every gift is vital. If it wasn't, God wouldn't have given it. Um, And so there's two mistakes that we don't want to make. And they're in your note sheet. There's a slot to to fill in some blanks. So let's talk about the kind of two equal but opposite mistakes that it comes to spiritual gifts. And here's the thing. Depending on your gifts, you're more vulnerable to one of these than the other. All right? So the first one, here's the first mistake. The first mistake is to overvalue our gifts. Now, you say, well, who tends to overvalue your gift? You tend to overvalue your gifts in a couple situations. One is if you have upfront gifts, right? Like if you are uh, leadership gifts, you have teaching gifts, uh, you have speaking gifts, you have worship gifts, you have these kinds of gifts. There's a tendency to overvalue, everyone to overvalue those gifts because it's so obvious, like, why they play an important role in the body of Christ. Another kind of gift that we tend to overvalue, and we touched on this last week, is if you have gifts that are just clearly supernatural, very spectacular, like if you have the gift of miracles, if you have gifts of healing, if you have gifts of prophecy, uh, if you have gifts of like visions and revelations from the Lord, these kinds of gifts, there's a tendency to overvalue them because they're obviously so supernatural, they're so impressive just by their nature that remember what we, we talked about this last week, we tend to equate these kinds of spiritual gifts with spiritual maturity. And so either way, if you have either of those, and this is exactly what the Corinthians did. Remember in first, uh, when I talked about there's five key passages about spiritual gifts Two of those passages are 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And right in between is chapter 13 about love. But one of the problems of the Corinthians is they were tending to overvalue certain gifts and undervalue other gifts. And they were undervaluing these gifts, for example, like uh, the gift of tongues, right? So, like, I'm a big believer in the gift of tongues. I mean, so it's a beautiful gift, whatever. But uh, in their church, they were value, overvaluing that. That was a sign of spiritual maturity. They're getting up in the church service. People are kind of going off in this language that no one can understand. And everyone's like, wow, aren't they spiritual? And Paul says, well, in the, he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But when I'm in church, I'd rather speak five words you understand than that all these words no one understands. Because the whole point of the, of the gift is to build up the body of Christ. And if no one can even understand what you're saying, how are you building up? You're just calling attention to yourself and acting like you're hot stuff when you're really, like, not, right? All right? So that's in the Greek, by the way. But <laughs> it's, uh, uh, anyway, so, so this, this idea, if you have upfront gifts, right, or if you have uh, clearly supernatural gifts, a tendency to overvalue those gifts. But then there's also the other side of this is to undervalue your gifts. The second mistake is to undervalue. And I think that the danger here is if you have gifts that are not obviously supernatural, right? We talked about this last week, or they're not upfront gifts. So let me give you this. If you have the gift of administration, if you have the gift of service, you have the gift of helps, uh, these kinds of gifts, it's very easy to undervalue your gift and to say, well, you know what? Anyone could do this. 
But the thing is, when you have a spiritual gift of helps, you are supernaturally good at this. And uh, if you have that, the, the, the Holy Spirit is working through those gifts in a very powerful way. And so Paul says, hey, you need to understand this. In, in the body, we all belong to each other. All the gifts are vital. Don't make the mistake of overvaluing your gifts. Don't make the mistake of undervalue. Because if you undervalue your gifts, here's what happens. You start thinking anyone could do what I do. And therefore, you start neglecting these gifts that are so important. And all of a sudden, the pancreas is shutting down, and we're all feeling the pain. So let's look at this. There in your note sheet is a passage from 1 Corinthians 12. Remember, one of our five key spiritual gift passages. And Paul talks about both of these mistakes in this passage. And you're actually going to study this in your life groups for your life groups this week. But I want to at least introduce it here. So he says, um, Paul says, yes, the body, remember that's his analogy, the body has many different parts, not just one part. So if a foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, okay? So you've got a foot who's really kind of depressed, (laughs) right? You've got a foot who's got a low self-image, and they're like, oh, man, that hand can do so much, and I am so limited. Uh, Fortunately, they, they created soccer, but... Beyond that, you know, like I am very limited here. The things I do best is kick people. I'm not supposed to do that. So, so you've got a kind of a, a self-esteem problem with the foot. So the foot is undervaluing themselves. Okay, that's, that's the, the, uh, the point. Uh, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. Or if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye. Those eyes, man, they have it so great. They're right on the front of the face. Uh, you know, I'm stuck here on the side, um, and um, it's so limiting. Um, and so would that make it any less a part of the body? So these first two examples are undervaluing yourself, right? Because I'm not that, then I'm not really a part of the body. I don't have a vital role to play. And he says, um, if the whole body were an eye, how would, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Every part is vital. But our bodies um, have many parts, and catch this, God has put each part where he wants it. And this is a constant teaching. The Holy Spirit distributes the gifts. So when we reject our gifts, we're rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so he says, uh, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Okay, now he's going to talk of the flip side of overvaluing. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Like, I can see clearly, I do not need you. Then he says, um, and the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. You know, like every part is vital. Uh, this last week, if you're in uh, doing the serving sacrificially, we had you read this. Uh, this quote was in there from Rick Warren in your reading last week. He said, two common problems are gift envy and gift projection. Right? So the first occurs, that's gift envy. And we get this, right? Can I wish I had different gifts? Um, when we compare our gifts with others, 
We feel dissatisfied with what God gave us, and we become resentful or jealous of how God uses others. Okay, so that's, that's gift envy. But look at the second one. The second problem, that's gift projection, happens when we expect everyone else to have our gifts, do what we're called to do, and feel as passionate about it as we do. And so th this is a dangerous, the second one I want to focus on for a minute because this is one that often goes under, kind of, uh, it kind of passes with, well, we don't recognize it. Gift envy we recognize, right? I wish I had that person's gift. Very easy to point out. But gift projection, not so much. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, gift projection happens when I'm overvaluing my gift and calling. And so, for example, if the, when this happens, um, what happens is that we are so passionate about our gifts and our calling, we think everyone should be equally as passionate. And if they're not, they're obviously not spiritually mature. So let me give you a couple examples. Uh, like, let's say that you have teaching gifts or like wisdom gifts. And as a result, you love to learn, you love to study, you get great insights out of the word. It's very easy with someone with that sort of gifts to look down on everyone else. Why don't you spend as much, much time in the word as I do? Right? Because, it, because this is obviously how you grow. Uh, someone, here's one that, that comes up. Let's say you have gifts of service. If you have gifts of service, you are supernaturally empowered to see needs. So when you walk in a life group, you walk into a, a family situation, you walk into a ministry, you just see what needs to be done. And you don't have to be asked. You just jump in. You start moving chairs. You start picking things up. And here's what happens. You can get really irritated with those people who have other gifts that are over talking in the corner. <laughs> and you're like, are you blind? Do you not see here that we need 36 chairs picked up? Do you can't you see that the house is a mess? Can't you see that everyone's left their cups all over? And you're just nya, 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 talking about Jesus, you know? Uh, it's like, why don't you do something like Jesus? You know, pick up a towel, knock it off, right? Or we have the gift of evangelism. It's like, oh. I can't believe the script. No one's sharing Jesus like I do. <laughs> What's going on here? I mean, we need to increase that budget for missions. You know, it's like we got so much here and so little there. And what we often don't, re don't realize is that what's happening is that we're seeing life through our area of giftedness and evaluating all life through our area of giftedness. And all these things are awesome being in the word, serving, evangelism. We could go on. They're all awesome, but we often don't realize is that what we're doing is we're projecting our gifts on everyone else, that if you were truly spiritual, you would be doing what I'm doing. And so we don't want to overvalue our gifts or undervalue our gifts. All the gifts are vital. Now, number three. Number three because all the gifts are vital, number three, it's vital we use our gifts. Once we begin to realize this principle of, catch this, how the body of Jesus is organized, how it's designed, right? That, Like we said last week, it's not a few players on the field and everyone else in the stands watching and clapping. 
once we realize how the body has been designed by Jesus, then, then it, it becomes obvious how important it is that everyone is using their gifts. Uh, one of the passages that you looked at this last week in your life groups was in Romans chapter 12. And again, this is one of the five uh, passages, spiritual gift passages. Let's take a look at it again. He says, don't think you're better than you really are. Uh, that'd be like overvaluing, you know, or overvaluing the extent of your giftedness. You know, we, like two people can have the gift of wisdom or the gift of helps or gift of teaching or whatever, but it doesn't mean they're equally gifted, right? So you might have the gift of evangelism and Billy Graham had the gift of evangelism. It doesn't mean it's the same, right? So you have the same gift, but not the same degree, and so he's saying, like, hey, have an accurate view of your own level of giftings. He says, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith, sort of the, the spiritual conviction that God has given us. And now he's going to use the body analogy again. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and catch this, I want you to underline this next statement. We all what? We all belong to each other. We're going to come back to that in just a minute, um, but we all belong to each other. And he said, in his grace, and notice this, these gifts, you, we haven't really talked about this, but you know, the spiritual gifts are often in Greek called charisma, the uh, charisma is where the charismatic kind of comes from. Um, and, and charisma, of course, is part of the root word for charis or grace. And so these gifts are always great, gifts of God's grace. We don't earn them or deserve them. And so he says, um, he says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, then speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So you, you catch the idea. The idea is, hey, whatever gift you have, invest in that gift. Use that gift. Don't neglect the gift. But what I want to do, and what I want you to notice is I want to highlight that statement we underlined. And just to make it easy, if you look at the next passage down, I just pulled it out so we could focus on it. He said, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And here it is again. We all what? Belong to one another. Now, this is really significant. I, I don't want us to miss this. We live in such an individualistic culture. We, like, my gifts are my gifts. And Paul says, no, they're not. Your gifts are not your gifts. Your gifts are our gifts. My gifts belong to you, and your gifts belong to me. We belong to one another. And therefore, it's just so vital that we use these gifts 
Because what this means, and I want you to catch this. Think of it very personal, even though I'm not trying to look at you. But <laughs> what, what is, I'm, this, is at, this is the point of a message. I'm always like scanning rapidly. I don't even think I'm actually like I've got an agenda. I, I got you right there. Uh, <laughs> but um, what this means is that if you are not using your spiritual gift, you are not simply sabotaging your own growth. You're not simply failing to, to, to carry out God's vision for your life. You, to put it straightly, are ripping us all off. <laughs> See how I'm keeping my eyes going? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want you to that if you are not using your gifts... We often think like, yeah, I probably should be more involved. I probably should be serving more. I probably should. And you think that's a decision between you and God. And if you don't do it, you'll be the only the one that's the worst. And Paul says, no. No, the way this is designed, it's like if the pancreas takes the day off, the whole body feels the pain. Now, I want to do a quick sidebar here because I want to avoid over-guilting you. <laughs> I want appropriate levels of guilt. Um, <laughs> now, I want to do a quick sidebar here. Um, this is a very important thing to understand in our walk with Christ that we, have, we go through different seasons in our spiritual journey, don't we? We go through different seasons, and I believe that God calls us to different assignments in different seasons. And so what we're responsible for in terms of using our gifts is to listen and follow and do whatever God is calling us in this season. So for example, um, let's compare two women here. One woman had just had twins, and one woman that is now empty nest. Uh, they're very different seasons, aren't they? They're amount of time and energy. And so for that mom with twins, she's going to be needing to invest more time and energy in raising those two little ones um, than she will do later in life. A young man who's starting, uh, maybe a, a young dad who's, who's starting a new career or new business will have less, uh, less time than, say, someone who's been in their field for 10 years and very established. Are you with me in this? And so... So what's important, of course, we can use this as an excuse our whole life, can't we? It's very easy to use it. Like, it's just the wrong season. Like, dude, you only have one season. It's a season of do nothing, right? So, like, obviously, it's, it's possible to take this principle and abuse it. But here's the thing. If you want to disobey, there's always a way to rationalize that. Right? There's no shortage of ways. Right? So I, I'm teaching for those of you who are honest with God. Like if you want to be dishonest and lie to God and lie to yourself, then you'll take this and you'll abuse it. But what I'm saying is that if your heart is right and you want to please him and you want to grow, then we just need to recognize we go through different seasons. And, and, so, um, and that during different seasons, God will ask you to use your gifts in different ways. And that's all part of life. That's all part, part of uh, following Jesus. But having said that, the big picture principle Paul is saying here is that because of the way Jesus has designed the body, 
that each of us has been gifted, and if we're not using those gifts, the reality is we're not just ripping off ourselves, we're ripping off one another in, in the body of Christ. And so I want to get super practical to help you like visualize what I mean by this. And I think what, what Paul is saying, like let me give you two or three examples. Let's say that you're in a life group right now and that you've been in this life group for a long time and you love this life group and that God is calling you to step out and to leave that life group either as a leader or a host and to, to launch a new life group. But let's say you don't want to do that. You've been together a long time. We're all so close. It's like family. I don't want to leave. I'm afraid that if I launch out, it may fail. What if no one signs up? Um, what if I'm inadequate? Uh, what if, um, what if uh, that, you know, I just, I just don't want to take on the responsibility you know, frankly, I just like pulling in Wednesday night, driving up. I can wing it. We all know each other so well. I can fake it. Um, I, I just don't, I've got too much going on in my life. Are you with me? So whatever reason, whether it's a leader or a host, but whatever reason, you know, God is calling you, but you're like, I don't want to do it. Here's what happens. Of course, for your life, you're not going to grow like you're supposed to because we grow when we step out in faith and take on challenge. So you're not going to grow. You're not going to be carrying out God's vision and purpose for your life. So you're going to suffer. But here's what I want you to catch, what we often don't miss, is that so are 12 to 15 other people. That, that God was calling you to lead a group. And in that group, new relationships were going to form and new friendships were going to happen and new challenge was going to happen and there was going to be a hardship that was going to come and the body was going to love one another and they were going to contribute financially during hard times to help this situation and they were going to speak into each other's life and they were going to experience transformation and that was all part of the plan and it didn't happen because you sat on your butt and would not listen and follow. Are you with me here? And this is what we don't get. We think it's just me and Jesus. It's not just you and Jesus because you are not a lone ranger Christian. We are connected. We're the body. When the pancreas shuts down, we're all affected. Now catch this. This is the same across the board. What if God has gifted you to love and to care for children and you don't listen to that call? It's not just you. It's those kids and their future and the generations. If you have the gift of administration and you're not using that gift, there are ministries that are going to be disorganized and ineffective because you're not there to help organize them so things run well and people are loved well. Are, are you with me? Are you following this? And this is not theory. This is reality because it's rooted in the nature of the body of Christ. So, men and women, we, we need to wake up here and realize what's at stake. All gifts are vital, and therefore it's vital we use our gifts. 
Look at your note sheet, Ephesians chapter 4. This was the passage we looked at last week, the first of the five spiritual gifts passages. And in Ephesians 4, it says he, talking about Jesus, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts, what? Grow. So that the whole body is, what? Healthy and growing and full of love. What happens when the parts aren't doing the work? You see, the, bo- oh, the whole body becomes unhealthy. And it stops growing. And it's not full of love. You see, the body doesn't become like the head, like Jesus. Now, number four. So number four goes like this. So the question is, well, well, how do we go through and kind of begin to discover our gifts then? If it's so important, we know them, we develop them. And number four goes like this. The best way to discover your gifts is to experiment. The best way to discover your gift is to experiment. So, you know, this week, if you're in a life group or if you're doing this study with us, um, we're going to be going online and taking a brief, about a 15-minute online spiritual gifts test. Now, my hunch is most of us or a lot of us here have done this before. I've done it probably 15 times <laughs> in my life, right? Um, and, uh, and so, um, and, and I, really, I really love spiritual gifts tests. Um, they, they have real value. It's limited value, but it's real value. I say, well, why do you like them? I find that when we do spiritual gift tests, it really focuses us in on the topic. There's something about taking the test and once your results, you really begin thinking this through. You begin asking questions that you wouldn't ask apart from it. And I find that it's especially helpful when you do this in a group because often in a group setting, as you're sharing your gifts, people begin to affirm one another, and we're often so slow to recognize our own gifts. Others see them usually way faster than we do. And so it leads to great discussion and exploration. But at the same time, spiritual gifts tests have, have very limited, it's of real value, but it's limited. And the reason is, self, uh, spirit, couple reasons, spiritual gift tests are, first of all, self-reporting instruments. So when you take a, a spiritual gift test, you're reporting on what you've experienced. And if you haven't yet discovered some of your gifts, you can't report on what you haven't experienced it. And then on top of that, like I said last week, there are no definitions in the Bible of what spiritual gifts. So, so these all are a little bit arbitrary. And depending on your theology, like I said last week, whether you believe all the gifts exist or you don't believe that, that will really uh, impact how the gifts are defined and how the test is set up and what you score as, you know. So there's, there's limited value. But I still really like them because of the discussion, getting us in the game thinking about this. But the, uh, the best way, though... Uh, to discover your gifts is to get in the game, right? To explore, uh, to, to begin to experiment and, uh, and see, like, what, what is working. Uh, there in your note sheet, 
um, there's a, a quote from uh, Rick from his book. He says, the best way to discover your gifts and abilities is to experiment with different areas of service. Notice, he says, I could have taken 100 gift and ability tests as a young man, and I would have never discovered that I was gifted at teaching because I'd never done it. It was only after I began accepting opportunities to speak and I saw results, received confirmation from others, and I realized God's gifted me to do this. So many books get the discovery process backwards. They'll say, discover your spiritual gifts, and then you'll know what ministry you're supposed to have. It actually works the exact opposite way. Just start serving, experimenting with different ministries, and then you'll discover your gifts. Until you're actually involved in serving, you're not going to know what you're good at. You have dozens of hidden abilities and gifts you don't know you've got because you've never tried them out. So I encourage you to try some things you've never done before. And so what I would, I, I would kind of split the difference there. And I would say, hey, here, here's a way to go about it. Uh, start by re- studying the Bible. What, what does the Bible say? That's what we're doing in this series. What does the Bible say? Uh, take a spiritual gift. It gets your... your uh, your, your mind going, but then we need to kind of jump in at a certain point, kind of listen and follow. God, what are you putting on my heart? And we need to jump in, and we need to start trying some things. I almost look at it um, like discovering your spiritual gifts is sort of like the path of uh, the process or path a river goes through. Like if you've ever seen a, a large river, and you, you, you watch it where it is today, you don't really know where it's going to end up. Maybe you've seen it on a map, but you don't know how it's going to get there. Like it starts one way, and then it turns this way, and then it turns this way, and then it hits a big boulders or big rock face, and it turns this way. And so you can see where finally where it's going, but how it gets there is sort of a mystery. And this is what I found is that often that this is the way it works with spiritual gifts, that as we begin to listen and follow what God is calling us to do, we step in and we jump in the river on the raft. And the raft often goes this way and then that way, and you're not really sure, but all of a sudden you end up at this destination at a a place you you never would have expected. You you never would even have guessed that, Um, but it's where the river has taken you, you know? Um, Let me give you an example. Um, We started the day with a story of this woman who's grown up in the San Fernando Valley, went through the schools, UCLA, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, went into consulting. You know, eventually she and her husband comes back. Um, and, and we left them at a certain point where, where she was facing this new challenge, a challenge for which she felt under-equipped, a little bit intimidated, never prepared for this, what's going to happen? Well, I kind of left out a couple of important pieces of that story is that when they, when they came back to California, uh, she and her husband started a family. And so she, she, she continued her career here, got on with a new firm here. Um, and they had a, their first child, and she continued to work outside the home, had a second child, and then continued to work outside the home. But when they had their third child, she felt like this is just you know, three, three young children, just kind of too much. I just need to focus in on this season in my, in my family. And so as her children are growing up and they're now moving into like school age, she's beginning to hang out with other moms that are school age kids. And she hears this fascinating ministry. And it's a, a ministry that goes into public schools 
and teaches the Bible, creates Bible clubs, after-school after Bible clubs for kids at public schools. And at first, she can't even believe this is even possible. But the more she hears, the more intrigued she gets. And she felt like she had no background in this, no training in this. But the Holy Spirit was beginning to trigger something in her heart. Now, she had all the reasons in the world not to do this. No background, no training, had three young children. This is why she had stopped working, super busy. And yet the Holy Spirit's doing something. And so she does exactly what we need to do. She begins praying, God, is there something in this? Are you trying to tell me something here? She begins exploring. And as she gets her friends to pray for her about this, and as time goes on, one obstacle after another fades away and to where she finds herself on that fall day standing in a public school classroom waiting for the bell to ring. The flyers have gone out. She's prepared, but she's wondering, will anyone show up? And if they do, can I handle this? Well, that was the start of an amazing ministry for her, one that she never could have guessed, never could have predicted, didn't know she was gifted for. But you see what happens? The Holy Spirit begins triggering you. You just get in the raft. You get on the river. And it starts going this way. And then it's, that's not quite the right ministry, but that opens the door to the next ministry. And then that's not quite right. It's a little better. But then the road changes, and it's like, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in this place, like, this is what I was made to do. But it only happens when we get off the bank and into the boat. And so now we're many years later, and God has used her in a tremendous way to help lead a ministry in a local public school. Um, and some of you have probably heard of this ministry. It's called Good News Clubs. And she, she attends here at Rocky Peak, and we were going to share this story with you last, uh, last fall, but all of a sudden dawned on me, you know what would be a perfect time to share this? This is a great listen and follow start right in the middle of serving sacrificially. So I'm just going to uh, turn our eyes to the screen. My name is Abby Bales. I'm a leader of the Good News Club. I've been attending Rocky Peak for 14 years. I'm married to my husband, Jeff, and I have four beautiful kids. I've known the Lord as long as I can remember. My parents were faithful Christ followers, and they taught me about Jesus. And I remember writing poetry as soon as I could write about how much I love the Lord. When I was growing up, there was a program called Religious Release Time, and you got to learn about the Lord in the middle of the school day. It was an amazing opportunity, and so when my daughter was starting kindergarten, I was on the lookout for how can I find a program that will provide Christian education in the public school. That's when I found the Good News Club and found out that you can have an after-school club in a public school that teaches about Jesus right there on campus. And so I was all in. All students are welcome. They do not have to be believers. In fact, we love it if they're not. A typical Good News Club starts off as soon as the bell rings at the end of the school day. We usually start with a song. Jesus is the good, good news. Jesus is the great good news. 
So a lot of people think that kids really just don't understand big spiritual concepts. They're too young to make a decision to follow the Lord. But at the Good News Club, we teach them intensely about the Lord. We make it fun. We know they've been sitting in class for six hours and we get them up and they do games and songs and dance, but we really teach them the Word of God. If we want someone to tell us the truth, if we want information that we can rely on that we know is sure, we need to get it from the Bible. And we do that because we know that they are at a critical age for making a decision for Jesus. Studies have shown that 85% of people who make a decision to follow the Lord do so between the ages of four and 14. And so Good News Club fits perfectly into that period of life. And really it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Once you introduce them to the Lord, God begins to transform them. And they are able to see the truth amidst the lies. We often have my puppet Robbie, who turns out to be a favorite of the kids, and I am no ventriloquist. My lips keep moving and the kids don't care because Robbie's so entertaining. <laughs> so my mom, she's talking to my sister and she says, oh, isn't your sister so cute? And Robbie, get out of here and do some homework. Uh, it feels like that in your house? Oh yeah, my sister, she's like the princess. Nobody cares about me. Does anyone else experience that, feel like your brother or sister gets all the attention. One year at Good News Club, I started the very first lesson to a group of smiling, adorable kids. And as I began, this little girl raised her hand in the back and she said, excuse me, Miss Abby, who is Jesus? And I was shocked to find out that there are kids in my class that have never heard the name of Jesus before. I realized at that point that Good News Club is my opportunity to tell them Jesus is your creator. He is your savior and he loves you. God began a good work in the life of Jesus by sending him to earth. Now when Jesus came to earth, boys and girls, did everyone treat him nicely? No. We know that many people rejected him. They were jealous of him, they hated him, and they even treated him badly. So badly that Jesus was crucified. Do you think that that was part of God's plan? One year at the end of the year, we were doing our final Good News Club. And at prayer time, after I presented the gospel, I asked the kids, would you raise your hand if you have made a decision for the Lord at any time during this school year? I opened my eyes to look around and nearly every hand had gone up in the room. And I was honestly so overwhelmed and surprised. I had to turn around and face away from them for a minute because I got a little choked up in the moment, but I just felt like the Lord is working in these kids' lives. And I am sure of it that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. Good job. What I've noticed being in public school now for 11 years is that God has been totally removed from the classroom. And kids are taught that they are here by random chance. We have an open door in public schools and I don't know how long it's gonna be open, frankly. Every year there's challenges, but right now we have an open door and an opportunity to tell them in the same location that they were created by the Lord, that God has a purpose for them, that he has a plan for their life, and that he can redeem them and make them into something absolutely beautiful. Joseph was coming from pretty far off and his brothers saw him coming. Now, have you ever seen someone coming around the corner that you didn't wanna to talk to? You want to show me the face you make? <laughs> and they said to themselves, there's that dreamer. Remember he had the dreams? There's that dreamer. He's the one who thinks he's going to lord it over all of us. I'm not unique. I'm just somebody who God called to start a club in a public school. And I said, yes, if God calls you, 
listen and follow because he promises that he'll be faithful to do the work of transforming these kids' lives. Some people think you have to go around the world to find a ministry. I found the best ministry in the world right in my neighborhood. I put a lot of effort into my club. I do a lot of preparation, a lot of work, but I get so much back in return. I get to see kids who are learning about the Lord. I get to see the impact on their families. And just knowing that I'm in the will of God is what makes me happy to serve. <laughs> well, let me ask you something. You know, when she's growing up and she's going to UCLA and the North Carolina public, like, like who could have guessed, right? It's like, you, but you just don't know what God has for you. But we find out by experimenting. We find out by, by listening and following. You get in the boat. You see where the river takes you. And you watch the sovereign hand of God direct you uh, from one thing to the next until you, you wake up one day and you find out, hey, this is what I was created to do. Amen? Hey, let's pray together. Oh, by the way, before we do that. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to mention this before that, uh, that we that we're showing this because we think some of you too may want to be involved in this ministry. And if you feel the Holy Spirit uh, tugging on your heart, the back of your program, you'll have a, there's an announcement there that just tells you how to contact Abby, a little bit more uh, informational uh, gathering they're going to have. And so uh, if that's uh, God's calling you, then there you go. Let's pray together. And Father, we just thank you so much for... Uh, your vision for our lives and how you've designed your body to work, that we each are significant, that we each matter, that we each play an important role. And of course, that's a double-edged sword because it means that we're not playing our role, that something's going missing. And so, Father, we pray that as we, as we continue to move through this series, God, as we take our spiritual gifts on tennis this week, as we discuss these things Father, we pray that you'd make it clear and clear, and that most of all, God, that you'd help us to be attuned to your voice, and if there's something for us, step to take to get into that boat, uh, that we would, we would do that, and that uh, you would move in a powerful way. So, Father, as we, we sing this song about giving our heart to you, kind of pouring out our heart to you, we pray that you would meet us in a powerful way as we bring our tithes, our gifts, our offerings. You use these to build a place that's advancing your kingdom full force. And we pray in Jesus' name that everyone said, amen. amen.